Welcome to the Artificial Cities Podcast, where we will talk about artificial intelligence, technology, policy, sustainability, and so much more. Let's grow one conversation at a time. Well, hello, hello, everyone. This is Garrett Livingood with the Artificial Cities Podcast, and today I have Miss Chandra Farley, and we're going to be discussing what she is doing to help our local communities uh, become more independent, more sustainable with cleaner energy, and actually helping the organizations that are on the ground, grassroots, making this a possibility for us to not be dependent on these unsustainable, centralized systems. So do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know the companies that you're working <laughs> with, organizations rather, um, and, and let's rock and roll. Let's drive. Let's do it. Thanks so much, Garrett. And thanks to the Artificial Cities podcast, I'm Chandra Farley. I'm the CEO of Resolve Consulting, and I'm also founder of The Good Energy Project. Love it, love it, love it. So a part of what you're doing with both of these um, organizations is, is actually very vital because you're not only working on the inside of the organizations, helping them make sure that they dot their I's, cross their T's, and have the support that they need in order to have longevity with their company, with your company Resolve. The Good Energy Project, on the other hand, is very niche and specific and directed for the purpose of of helping the black community. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. So yeah, why don't you, um, we we can do, let's do Resolve first. Okay. And you can kind of talk about how that is in some ways supporting what you're doing with the Good Energy Project and also independently how it's helping local organizations become stronger in in all areas. Absolutely. So this is a great conversation because this is my third day um, officially being uh, the CEO of Resolve. I just ended um, a stint as the Just Energy Director at Partnership for Southern Equity where I was for um, three years, eight months. And but my whole career has been in the nonprofit space related to energy and environment and sustainability. Uh, even prior to that, my background was actually in uh, buildings and residential building construction. And so working on both of those sides, having those connections between the natural environment and the built environment, and always having an affinity for the actual people those buildings shelter and serve. So moving into Resolve and having this experience working in nonprofits, understanding that resources are tight mm-hmm. uh, for nonprofits to, they're so busy doing the work, um, especially when you're talking about grassroots organizations that we define now, social justice organizations who are out in the community on the ground doing the work, mobilizing people, organizing with people. Uh, sometimes you're house isn't buttoned up as as tight as it needs to be on the operations side, having capacity for communications, um, having capacity just for taking care of your people through things like benefits and time off, um, which is critical in this space, um, to making sure you're taking care of yourself. You know, we hear a lot about self-care. Definitely radical self-care is necessary. So having that experience and working in these kinds of different organizations, even when not my full-time job, I was always a part of like environmental justice organizations. And so seeing those things and having the opportunity to build up my skills in that area, you know, being a project manager of regional and national programs or leading um, community level to federal level or state and county working on these initiatives, you understand the kind of tight infrastructure you need to be effective in your work. And so that is what Resolve is going to focus on, making sure that our frontline organizations, the organizations working on community, in community, on the ground, um, can mobilize the resources they need, um, activate the partnerships necessary for efficient mission delivery infrastructure. Well, you know, nonprofits are, are so intrinsic to basically being the fourth segment of the government. Um, you know, they work, not only do they work directly with government entities, and depending on how it's filed, um, either they're lobbying or they're actually promoting, because um, 501c3 technically can't lobby, um, 
but they do have (laughs) there's some loopholes there for sure for sure Um, advocacy is a form of lobbying but it's not directly towards a a politician exactly Um, so you know on the other end of the spectrum it's receiving federal money state money local money that is used directly in the community so these nonprofits are really a leg for the community to stand on to be able to stand up to the other three legs of the government. So it's it's an animal that that a lot that takes a long time to study and understand, but it functions very similar. And even the way you file it, it's very similar to an actual LLC or sole proprietorship. Um, the way you file through the Secretary of State through the IRS. Yes. Um, the main difference is you have your bylaws, which you know you can critique. To, to make more sense and, and have more power and be more directive and have more influence on the grants that you write. Absolutely. You can also, you know, have your programs, have them running more efficiently, which it seems like what you're doing is helping them on their back end so their programs are not draining money and time and other resources into that back end support that is that, that is just extreme, can be extremely draining, especially because of the predatory nature of all of these applications and software that can make the job easy but can completely dissolve a budget. Absolutely. So, so I think that is incredibly, incredibly important with what you're doing with Resolve. And, and I'm glad that there are companies like, what you're, like yourself that is able to, to give that type of support because there's so many people that want to help. But not only do they not know where to go, they don't, they don't have any of the management skills that you have developed through time. Um, now going, I guess this is a good step over into the energy, the good energy project where, you know, going into the, the idea of housing and, and that background of knowledge of understanding how, you know, how wasteful our modern design for construction is, not only in the layout, but also the actual housing itself. And the materials now more than ever are more restricted more than ever. And so... For us to be able to continue to build, you know, we have to be efficient. We have to be smart with, with the, the types of wood that we're using and maybe become creative and implement the use of hemp, which is the most exterior type of fiber that we have. Um, you know, incorporating more cement into the actual design to help with the effect of the geothermal energy being able to, um, well, not necessarily geothermal, but the, the efficiency of the energy to not be so wasteful and, and having to use this dangerous insulation that you can't really even get rid of. It's got, you know, filled with asbestos and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. these things that you, that work, but we've just become so lazy as, as, a, as a system in itself that we have voided the idea of creativity in the space. And, and I think what you're doing with the black community is the black community is one of the most creative groups of people on this planet. They, they're, they're, they dominate every creative avenue out there. And so to encourage this group to, to divulge into the space of, hey, let's support our community. Let's get our community off this central system that is incredibly repressive, that they are delegating how much we spend a month. They're, they're literally stealing a percentage of our paychecks that is not only destructive for our families, but destructive to our communities because they're not even using sustainable systems and and renewable systems um so so with that preface let's talk about your the good energy project absolutely yeah you touched on a lot right and i often talk about my journey to sustainability and to environmental justice as one i grew up in the country you know i grew up in a small town gallatin tennessee it's about 40 minutes north of nashville and Learning there, you know, me and my best friend, my next door neighbor, we used to pick up aluminum cans in the summer and take them to the dump and recycle for candy money. You know, I was the one who started recycling at our house, you know, making my mama and daddy, you know, have the separate bin. Uh, And we had a restaurant that was our our family business and my great-grandparents had a garden. And so at certain times of the year, what we were getting out of the garden is what we were putting in the restaurant, right? That wasn't called far. 
to table back then. It was just how you live life. That is how we um, have grown and evolved, you know, as people. We grow our food, we eat the food, we grow, um, and then we compost the food, right? One of my first jobs was to scrape the food scraps off the plate into the compost bin and we had cousins, you know, that had a farm and they would come pick it up and to feed the pigs, you know, so this, this life cycle being something that is inherent to black communities, inherent to indigenous communities, inherent to rural low wealth communities as a means of survival, you know, uh, being original conservationist um, and being closer and more at one with nature and natural life cycles. And, you know, watching my great grandmother put the towel at the bottom of the door to, you know, keep the air from going out, right? Or lots of us remember our grandmothers or aunties saying, shut that door, you're letting my air out. Or, <laughs> yes, right, turn that light off before you leave the room, yes. right? Or don't leave that water running. All of these things are efficiency, energy efficiency, weatherization, water efficiency, sustainability. But at some point, these um, strategies have been repackaged and sold back to the very communities who innovated them, who have depended on them. So then it seems like, well, I've always been doing that. I don't need to you know, pay so much attention to that. I, I do that already. So I think it's really important that we call attention to um, owning our culture, as you know, as you mentioned, like this is inherent to our culture, inherent to who we are, and it is having major impacts on our communities. You know, if we talk about, people say environmental justice, but what we're really talking about is environmental injustice or environmental racism, where we have, um, you know, black communities or rural communities who are bearing the brunt of coal plants and now um, coal ash ponds that are polluting our groundwater, you know, where else are we supposed to get water, <laughs> you know, thinking about these things. And um, the way we're producing electricity these days is solar technologies, has, the price has dropped something, I don't know, crazy, like almost 200% or something like that, maybe over-exaggerating, but like over the last, last 10 years. But there are, which has propelled Georgia, where we are, to be in a top 10 state for solar, but on the utility scale side. So you can drive through most any highway in Georgia, particularly if you're headed south, and see huge solar farms. And that's very exciting. That is helping us fight back against climate change, reduce things like greenhouse gas emissions. On the flip side of that, Georgia and other southern states consistently rank at the top for what we refer to as energy burden. And that is the ratio of household income, monthly income to the ratio of monthly utility bills. So the lower a household income and the higher those bills, the higher your energy burden. Georgia, um, Atlanta specifically, has ranked like in the top 10, the top five in the nation for energy burden. And so it's like, on the one hand, we have this really fixable problem, right? We know how to fix energy burden. And then on the other hand, we have we're a top 10 state for solar. Georgia's a number one state to do business, but we have whole entire groups of people who do not have access to the benefits of those technologies. And so when we talk about solar on a residential scale, um, rooftop to rooftop, let's say, um, there are many benefits, um, not only being able to reduce your utility costs, but being able to stabilize your energy costs, you know, not having these huge fluctuations month to month, and being able to project out, let's say, over the life of um, a solar installation, maybe 15 to 20 years. Um, solar and other clean energy technologies also bring job opportunities. And these are construction jobs, but also high road, thriving wage, family sustaining jobs, and entrepreneurship opportunities. You know, if you have folks who go take a weatherization training, um, go through energy auditor training, um, you know, they can start doing energy audits. I have a friend who started his own company, Costco Jones, with Jones Sustainable Solutions, um, and Ed Gresham out of Savannah with, with HDS, and that is exactly what they do. And so they've been great partners um, to me, um, to organizations like Partnership for Southern Equity and other organizations in the community, because not only do we have an understanding of the technology, not only are we um, you know, practitioners of excellence in the practice, 
we come from these communities. These are our families, these are our friends. Um, this is where we host meetings. And so we're able to um, be translators, if you will. So people, you know, talking about solar, talking about clean energy, well, what is that really, right? right? And so one of the reasons for choosing the name of my personal project, a good energy project, was just to say, clean can mean a lot of things. In Georgia, clean includes nuclear because we are building the only nuclear power plant in uh, the nation's history in, in 30 years. You know, the costs have skyrocketed to um, be more than, than the entire state budget of Georgia. You know, and we've all been paying for it for 10 years um, without getting a single kilowatt electricity, a single kilowatt hour of electricity from these, these the additions yet. So, and it is increasing our utility rates. So. Uh, renewable, you know, can can mean dif you mean different things, and so instead of having to get into the weeds of that, I just wanted a, a simple hook to speak to a very specific, very powerful um, group like like Black women um, who are known for being the highest voting block. Um, we know that you know majority, you know, lots of heads of households, um, high earners. Um, businesses, you know, any statistics you would, you know, you would like to look at. You can look at a group or a movement and find black women leading, as historically we have in all social movements, right? And so looking at those two things and my passion and being able to meet, you know, finally moving into this, you know, space and being able to see other women who looked like me, because for a long time, being on the building side of the thing, being on the technical side of things, there weren't a lot of people who looked like me working in these spaces. And because our ability to advance um, clean energy for healthier communities, wealthier communities, we've got to have that voting power as well. Um, the people who make the decisions, the people who are making, uh, yes, we have the state legislature, and that's very important. But here in Georgia and a lot of other states, um, they have elected public service commissions. Um, the public service commission in Georgia is a five-member elected body. Um, elected, they serve six-year terms. They're staggered every two years. And it's a down-ballot race, right? So not only do we have work to do around educating people around races and why local races are so important, it's like, hey, scroll all the way down you know, to the end of the ballot and there's gonna be this race called the Public Service Commission. And I wanna make sure people know what that is when they go in the, in the voting box. So they don't just see incumbent next to someone's name and check the box because they're like, well, they've done that job already. I don't really know what this office is. Right. Yeah, so we want to be informed and and just be good, right? Everybody understands good. So just talking about the Good Energy Project was like, we just want good energy that's healthy, um, can help our communities advance towards uh, community wealth building. And there's also a double play on that as well. You know, we just, good energy. Sitting here with you, you know, we've got some good energy yeah. flowing. Yeah, you know, yoga, health and wellness. We were talking about healthy food earlier. Mm -hmm. These are all things that bring good energy to us as well. And we need that good energy for ourselves to be able to have the energy to be able to participate in these civic processes that are so important um, to advancing justice, advancing liberation, advancing self-determination and, and uh in most marginalized communities, particularly black communities. Well, yeah, and you know, if you if you have a whole community of people that are sick, that are poor, they don't have the the mental bandwidth to focus on that next area outside of what's in front of their what they're right. looking at. You I know, they're put looking gas at in the car tomorrow. They gotta make it yeah. through the day. Yeah. They cannot they cannot even imagine trying to be a part of something bigger than than just themselves or just their family. And so you're right to be able to to look up and see someone that looks like them gives them the the the, the encouragement, it empowers them to be able to look stand up and say, hey, we can together, I may have 10 minutes a day for me to share a post, to advocate, to to share a dictionary definition of what clean energy is. And I love the idea of the pointing towards nuclear energy because the only waste that you have from nuclear energy, we are being able to actually recycle that. And so there's, there's a lot of innovation happening in that space. 
in, in the field of, of working out. You know, there's workout machines that convert your mechanical energy into electricity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, encouraging, you know, individuals, hey, quit paying a gym, get you a, <laughs> a bike that's going to make electricity at your house. And sure, it might run three light bulbs a day. Right. But right. that's three light bulbs that you had to have on. And then you compound on top of that, shutting off the lights. And now you've saved yourself $20 a week. And now, you know what? You now have more than 10 minutes a, a, a week to devote towards, towards advocacy. You have an hour. And yes. so, so there's a compounding effect of the, the transcendence of the energetics that's in the, the social stratosphere of the human race that once we strive towards good, we can, we can carry with us so much more than what we could have even imagined a decade ago or a right. day ago even. Right. So, you know, I, I fully see, and, and to, to dive even deeper into the, the health, I'm going to do a little shout out to Emmy Henry with Rooted in the Loop. She, she's got, a, if I'm not mistaken, you can hate me later for it, but I'm pretty sure it's a vegetarian uh, restaurant she's launched. And, you know, she's really pushing to get her community to start eating healthy because, you know, especially when you talk about eating local, you're eating these vegetables, you're getting the, the micro, you're building a stronger microbiome, which is where your, your, your inflammatory response system is able to, to come, where you're able to kill the inflammatory responses in your system. It's where your immune system is, is derived from, is your microbiome, and you're eating food from the dirt. It is cultural. It is where we came from. And we've been so disconnected through these um, facades of what's easy, what's mm-hmm. convenient. Mm-hmm. You know, run into the convenience store to get something just to fill my stomach instead of maybe going into ketosis and hydrating and burning some fat, killing some of that inflammation. So the more that we can advocate, we can teach, you know, we can, we can change the philosophy of what it means to be fat to what it means to be healthy. Right. And, and you're seeing that in the hip-hop culture. We're seeing people wanting to promote health because, you know, living in poverty, living in, in unhealth is not cool. And, and, and for the longest time, that's, that's the image that they've pushed. You know, have this specific drink in your hand, you know, is a sign of wealth. And, you know, I was talking with my son this week. He said, Dad, you know what's crazy? At lunch, you can get chocolate milk for free, but you have to pay a dollar for a bottle of water. Wow. Isn't that so pathetic? That we're, we're, and you can get a fruit juice or, or regular milk that's highly pasteurized from these cows that are, you know, injected with antibiotics on these farms that there are like so many levels. And, and I'm not against milk. I'm not against eating animals, but there's more sustainable, there's better ways to do these, these lifestyles that we're building. And, and it really starts with, with conversation. Yes. With one person like yourself standing up and, and doing all that you can to learn how, how to merge these industries and break the, the cycle of how we're trying to engage renewable energy is actually an economic stimulus. Because just because you have solar panels, every five years you're going to need new batteries that's going to need a specialist to come out to hook up, depending on the type of batteries that you use. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, there's upkeep that, that is a part of the stimulus. There's further development of adding insulation. You know, I have a friend who, who runs insulation, and it's crazy how many houses are built without insulation or have it's deteriorated nuts. insulation, yeah. um, even considering the, the destructive nature of a lot of the insulation that's out there. Um, you know, that's, that's a part of innovation is working with the technology, the resources that you have. And then once you can reach that baseline, you can then pick your head up and look a little bit further out. And then you can start innovating. Then you have time to be creative. Right. And then you have time to innovate. And then you can become a leader in your community, which you're obviously doing. So, you know, one thing that Gary Harris brought up, our our CEO, he mentioned microgrids. And we need lobbying power in order to enact the ability for us to put up these microgrids. For, for HOAs to come together and say, hey, guys, let's stop with this ignorance of saying that solar panels make our neighborhood look ugly. In fact, right. these solar panels make our neighborhood look sexy. <laughs> like, like we, And it starts with that philosophy of changing of what we value. 
Do we value the convenience store or do we value spending more time with our family, spending less time on the road, spending more time with our hands in the dirt, getting more vitamin D, especially for the black community who, who has a harder time absorbing vitamin D. So they need more time outside in order to, to get more vitamin D. And so there's, there's, there's so many ways that we can engage the conversation where it's, it's promoting good things. And, and too often we get caught, like even myself, I'm afraid to sometimes even mention saying the word black community, even though like I'm complimenting and I'm promoting it. And so we have to break these boundaries that society has put up that has put us at wars. Yes. And I love the fact that you included the rural communities because yeah. it, it, it very much so is uh, more of a, a socioeconomic class that's being neglected. Yes. Now that socioeconomic class is has a, a disproportion of ethnic groups in it, but it isn't just one group. But the fact of the matter is in business, you have to niche. And that's what you've done. And you've chosen a very smart niche to, to, to <laughs> choose because the black women have been leaders in our communities for since... Ever. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> I, the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I think what you're doing is not only important and vital, but transformative. Because we do have these systems like Atlanta that's already designed where I guess the saying was, uh, I don't know who it was, but whoever designed the roads of Atlanta just spit out a can of, uh, of their dip in their mouth and everywhere they spit it out, they put a road. <laughs> and that's really how it feels like because right. there's not that's much intelligent right. design around here. Right. But we still have rooftop space. You know, we can still paint our roads white so that way there's less heat coming from the actual roads themselves, which reduces the overall energy costs in the areas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could still replace all the gym's workout equipment with workout equipment that transfers our mechanical energy into, you know, electricity. We can do little things. We can put up smart lights so that way they're not just wasting energy all the time. They're not forcing cars to sit there while no one's coming. You know, we can do little steps that, you know, yes, is an investment, but it's an investment for longevity purposes, for, for the micro that ends up across the spectrum becoming the macro. I, I think one of the points recently was, you know, a, a, a whenever you have a single situation, it's not data. But whenever you have a lot of situations, you have data. And that's mm. one thing the artificial cities is focused on is looking at the data and figuring out, you know, how can we make our roads safer? How can we lower the energy costs on a policy level, on a personal level, you know, and how can we work and advocate with individuals like yourself to be able to seed these conversations, advocate, which advocacy always says a fancy word for marketing. (laughs) Uh, So we can help advocate with, with these, you know, transformative individuals in our communities that, you know, when we pick our head up, we see a Chandra Farley in Cobb County. Then we see one in a rural district in Alabama. Then we see one in New York City. And then, and then we have the collaborative effort to say, hey, you know, we might be the ants, but together we can build our own mound, our own community. And we don't have to bow down and continue to lay down to these centralized systems as they take advantage of us. We can stand up to them, we can fight them, and we have the capacity because you're right, voting is very essential. But a big problem that we have with voting is who do we vote for? I mean, you have all these, we have these politicians putting out millions of dollars worth of signs with one website page with five talking points about what they stand for. And it's like, how about we we engage in, in dialogue? How about we find those that really stand for something you know, that, that is going to stand up for the people, that's going to stand up for what's most right, that's going to stand up for real science, not mainstream science, but real science, real data that we can pull out and we can say, hey, people in this area have poverty to this level. How can we bring them up? How can we bring jobs to them? How can we build their infrastructure so it's cheaper? You know, there's two ways to work a budget. You can save on, on what you expend on or you can make more money. So from that dimension, you know, taking your two organizations that you're working with and working on and that you've built 
you're working on both dimensions of that mm-hmm. to help these organizations save their money, become more effective, efficient, while also innovating on the other end of the spectrum, inspiring the individuals to stand up against these beasts that be and and actually change and, and really hold these power companies accountable because you're right, we've been spending years and years of money on these on this development of this nuclear energy that we still haven't seen. And it's like, is this is this for show? Is this real? Where's the accountability? And the artificial cities is here to hold that accountability to the elected officials as saying, no, we're not spending another dollar on your nuclear energy. We're going to build our own microgrids. When you have your nuclear energy, you come to us and you let us know because we're done being taken advantage of. I don't know if you've ever had a had a business that kept taking money from you, didn't produce anything. I know I know Gary's talked about it. He said, Gary, you produce content, you're doing something, you know. Mm-hmm. But too often, you know, you have clients where, where people aren't doing something and, and they they say a lot, they talk a big game, but they, they can't see the big picture. And so to have you paint that picture is quintessential for the future development of not only our communities, but this country and this world. So, you know, I, I wanna hear, you know, a little bit more some, some, I guess we're, we're probably getting a little close on, on our time. Where are we at? We got a little bit more? Okay, perfect. So, you know, how are ways that we can help you? You know, um, you know what are your links? What are, what are some, you know, beyond donation, you know, sharing your content, um, you know, inviting you to speak? Um, so, so, so kind of, yeah, yeah, enlighten us on how we can help you further your mission. So first things first, everyone, I like to quote um, one of my mentors and elders, Dr. Mildred McLean. She is a 30-year veteran of the environmental justice movement and founded Harambe House Citizens for Environmental Justice in Savannah, Georgia. And she says, we always like to have a call to action, you know, with events and education, and it's just find your justice home. So the way people can help me is to find a place to get plugged in and get in the fight to do some work, you know, whether it's your church, whether it's your local NAACP, whether it's your Rotary Club, all of these places have people who just aren't thinking about these things, you know, Um, reach out to me, I'd be happy to help with an Energy 101. You know, I always say to people, like they give me these 80 page reports and case studies, I'm like, I need a one pager and a slide, you know. It's okay if it's front and back, because somebody said to me the other day, and I'm like, I know it's a lot of information. So that's where to start. Um, Helping me is helping you, right? Helping you is, you know, speaking up about something or, hey, have we thought about this? Uh, Our community anchors, our institutions, we just have to start the conversation. Uh, Because it's just a lot of things people don't, you know, talk about you. We were talking before, sometimes, the only time people think about energy, maybe, is when they get the light bill or when they get the gas bill. You can either pay it and you're not really thinking about it, or you you can't pay it and you're worried about how you're gonna keep the lights on. Um, Not just for this month, but then you got to worry about it again next month. So just start small. Start where you are and ask a question. You know, how much, you know, how much is your utility bill? We also have to normalize talking about these things, first of all. There is a lot of shame when it comes, when we talk about not being able to pay a bill. There's a lot, you know, well, why can't you? Aren't you working hard enough? It it becomes something that um, becomes our fault versus systemic oppressive systems um, who are keeping us in this loop and barring us from the very opportunities that like there are with clean energy, like there are with renewable energy technologies that allow us an opportunity um, to be the masters of our own destiny, right? Really realizing the future of um, what a lot of colleagues and I are talking about is energy democracy, you know, this, this term where energy is commons, microgrids in our communities. If, we can't, if somebody can't have solar on their roof because it's gonna cost $30,000 for a roof, that's all right. There's a small scale solar farm across the street that we can get energy from. Uh, but that takes political will and that takes political power and that takes people raising their voice. Uh, so voting is important, but you gotta know who those candidates are. Right. We, we've got to study. It, it takes a lot, and we have a lot of offices and lots of commissions. So I focus on voter education specifically around the Public Service Commission. Oh, your, your bill was really high last month? Um, well, let's look at it. 
It's like, oh, wow. Do you know there are five people who are elected in Georgia who are making that decision for you? Well, their office is at 244 Washington Street in downtown Atlanta. And they might be open now, you know, but you can call them and you can email them. The meetings are on YouTube now, you know, every couple of weeks. You can go there, Public Service Commission website. Um, so that's to get involved where you are, um, to get active, you know, in voting at all levels of government, you know, not just the federal stuff, but your, your local, so your county commission, the public service commission, the labor commission. Uh, and then three, you can follow um, the Good Energy Project on Instagram. I would love that. It's brand new, <laughs> so I would love to uh, love to have more and trying to get engaged in some content development. I, I do speaking quite a bit, so happy to do that. And you can catch up with Resolve um, online. And all of those things are on my LinkedIn page. So you can go to LinkedIn and Chandra Farley, and you can find all the links to those there. Yeah, context, content is king, isn't it? So I hear. Yeah, we'll see. Be queen. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> That's huge. Um, so I think that you're 100% right that, you know, I think Howard Zinn has a quote that says, you know, we have enough of a democracy here to still make a change. And, and as much as we want to talk about, you know, the corruption in, in the voter system on, on both sides with both segments of arguments to be had, you know, there is enough of a system here where we can't, we can't deny if we get together and we elect someone, especially on a local level, that we can't take control of our local communities. And, you know, it's a shame that there are these barriers in front of us that's, that's making it more difficult. It's no excuse to not keep working, to keep building a system independently and and gathering and advocating and educating because you know education is the key foundation to to building a stronger society and if if a society doesn't understand what that bag of chips is doing to them if they don't understand what you know that gas mileage is doing to them or you know leaving that door open is doing to them i mean you would be surprised. I have a niece who she moved out from her house and she was complaining about the energy bill. And my, my sibling was like, Hey, I don't want to use which niece, which said, I don't want to point her out. But he was, he was like, you know, when you keep it really cold, it costs a lot of money. And she, she, she said, really? And he was like, yeah, that's why I was always telling you quit turning the energy, the, the temperature down because it's cost a lot of money. So, you know, there are some basic things that we just, we don't understand. Or maybe you have a leak in your refrigeration or in, in your refrigerant and you're, you're spending a lot more energy to cool down your system because that closed loop system is now open and it's spewing out energy. And now you have less refrigerant, which is now having to use more energy, more fan power to, to use the compression rate, to, to make that energy, uh, to blow out that hot or blow out the cold, depending on if it's summer or winter. Um, you know, so Great images of dollar bills flow, flying out windows and flying outdoors. And that's a, that's a big, that's a good attention getter, um, particularly at the residential level, you know, at, at the household level, because that residential households are um, own little microcosms, you know, when we start yeah. to join together, those are those are definitely the places because you can talk to your neighbor. Hey, man, what's, my bill was especially now where everybody's houses are very similar. You know, some, right. you know, production building and things like that, depending on on where you're built. Hey, man, you know, or hey, girl, my bill was is your bill this high? And it's like no, because I did X, Y, and Z. It's like oh wow, you did. You know, and I've I've been in community meetings where that happens, where we've brought you know a group of people together and their neighbors and some you know will be talking about energy efficiency or weatherization and some will say oh yeah i did that because i found out about this and the at one point he was like i didn't know you did that you know i mean and it's just we're just we just go 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 all day and we are a consumer class now we are a people of convenience we flip on the light switch and we expect the light to come on if it doesn't, it's either my bulb is burnt out or 
I forgot to pay that bill, right? And then we just fix the problem versus, you know, going further. And there are a lot of different ways that people are thinking about these things, but we, we just want to have more intentional conversation um, to make the links and the connections to the bigger picture. Right, right. And I, I see what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I know typically we end these in these talks with a little question with Mr. Gary. So, so what you got for us, buddy? Um, well, as usual, I'm always asking those questions around, you know, the those marginalized like, communities, especially when you talk about something like solar power and things like that, because obviously if it was so like affordable, everyone would, I guess, have it, right? I, I, I guess that's the theory, right? So when you have these families who are in those rural areas, marginalized say, say, say communities, and they need more affordable energy, is there a, is, is there a real path or a, uh, a path that's laid out and, or that can be laid out in some way or that's in your mind or through certain groups to get those like communities access to, um, you know, more like affordable energy? Yeah, so I believe in progression, and I think it's always important to, to remember progression. I'm, I'm a former cheerleading coach. You have different steps that you do so you can stand on the ground before you can stand on somebody's hands. So step one with uh, talking about the cleanest energy is the energy that you don't use, first and foremost. So we have to start with weatherization, which helps us conserve. Um, we have to start with energy efficiency. Um, particularly here in Georgia, because of a lot of the regulatory barriers that we have um, for homes to um, have rooftop solar. Um, also, lots of houses aren't ready. So particularly when we're talking about marginalized groups, um, it's older infrastructure. So all of a sudden, it's like you also don't want to jump to solar if your house isn't as in absolutely as energy efficient as it could be, because then you don't want somebody you know, you don't want to get a system bigger than you need because then it's more expensive, right? So you want to make sure it's sized properly. So when we have to, and that is the awareness building that we're talking about. So weatherization, energy efficiency, then does solar make sense? Uh, pairing that with batteries. I mean, we are entering, the South is home to the most billion dollar climate and weather disaster events um, in the nation. That is a reality. Uh, and we saw in Texas, uh, in Florida, a couple of years before, people who had EVs or batteries in their homes, they were, they made it through. You know, they were plugging up a few minutes at a time and running the heat a little bit at a time because they had that backup power. So, you know, again, going through those steps and at every single one of those steps, we have to have people ready to activate um, their communities, their churches, their neighbors to go speak up in these decision-making arenas. So we can say, you know what, I've done everything on my house. My house is as energy efficient as possible. And I wanted to put uh, solar on my house, but there were no incentives in place like there are for gas, like there are, you know, for you know, other fossil fuel based, you know, technologies that we're still depending on this infrastructure for. Um, or, hey, I saw this program, uh, Solar Energy Loan Fund, who's been doing great work in Florida, working specifically on barriers to people who are considered low income or income qualified to who can't meet those solar barriers. Um, let's bring that to Georgia. You know, they're, they're just here now. So how do we make sure we have really innovative companies with any really innovative models to attack it at all sides? We've got the education and awareness, we've got the physical infrastructure, and then we have to have the financing, financial mechanisms to make it happen. Um, and at every single point of those, there is an informed, activated, group of people um, required to help us advance and demand the political will um, for what we are asking. Well, I, I wanted to add, so um, obviously you have uh, a large population of what I would say renters, let's say, right? So I want to move from not just those who own homes, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of us at one point in our time, we were renters or we could have had a family and we were renting, right? And you have these uh, homeowners or companies, let's say they own a 300-unit apartment complex, whatever. What incentive is there for them to 
put you know solar panels or something on their apartment complexes or become more energy like efficient and they're just like say, like collecting rent. They can just raise rent, right? I mean, so what is what are, what do those dynamics look like? Because we all started out some way as renters. Mm -hmm. So I'm mm -hmm. just curious about that. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of dynamics, um, and we do have to come up with more incentives. Uh, earlier, we talked about energy burden, and uh, the majority of people who are energy burdened are renters, right? And we do have a big issue with its industry, speak, I guess, is split incentives, right? The landlords don't necessarily want to make the improvements because they cost money and they don't see the benefit. The homeowner, uh, the, the renters don't understand the benefits they could get from doing small improvements in their home and they don't own it and could be moving in a couple of months. So what's the, what's the reason to do it? So there does need to be more advocacy and there do need to be more policy levers created and enforced um, at that landlord renter level, um, particularly for our smaller landlords, right? Um, you know, we have the big 300, you know, corporate production uh, builders who are moving towards things like all electric buildings, right? Uh, things like that where uh, renters aren't burdened by two deposits. You know, okay, now I can just get my electricity turned on. I don't also have to try to worry about having gas, you know, in the winter or another bill. Um, and even paying for it in the summer when I'm not using it, because if I turn it off, then I'm going to have to try to, um, you know, go through the credit process again to get to get approved. So there are a lot of benefits in the new buildings that are, you know, all electric. But again, those are the big folks who we expect to be on the front end, you know, of of building industry, and they're able to do that. But I think we have to look a whole lot more at subsidized housing. You know, folks um, like my daddy who used to buy a house here and there in our hometown and rent them out, you know, to people at our church or, you know, people at our restaurant. You know, there are people whose retirement, you know, or life is uh, the income from five or six properties, you know, that, that they own. So how do we get messaging to those folks um, whose family members are the people we are talking about. And they themselves could be energy burdened, right? Um, the folks who are living in their, in their households are energy burdened. So again, what are the policy levers to drive some incentive um, and some investment um, to partner with them and say, hey, this really is to your benefit. And hey, if you do make these improvements, here's a way we can work together um, with city government or county government um, to get you to agree to not raise your rent. So we can maintain affordable housing, naturally occurring affordable housing, right? right? Not something new you have to build, but these single family homes, these four, six unit duplexes um, that just need to be brought up to beyond the code, um, healthy building standards, right? Because an energy efficient home is a healthy home. Yeah, I would say that advocacy and education is huge. You know, having engineers actually consider you know, solar, even smaller wind turbines to be used on the property to measure the BTU of the unit. So that way they can say, hey, you know, it's going to cost $1 million for us to install, you know, 100 uh, AC units, or we could spend 500000 and then maybe $250,000 and use a mixed, um, mixed use whereby we can we can actually make this more efficient in the long term as we develop. So getting engineers, getting the educated class on board to understanding how we can make this work. The math does work out, and you're right. It is about, it's, it's about half as expensive as it was back in 2014. I did a, a project on solar, and if for it to be like 100% efficient, which you kind of have to use mixed use, but... On average, it's about half as expensive as it was, you know, just just six years ago, seven years ago. So, um, you know, I think I think you're spot on with with trying to open up that dialogue of how do we get into these parts that that you know 
where the renters are at, but even a deeper point of that conversation, which really goes into the, the socioeconomic conversation of how can we help these people buy homes? How can we create sustainable jobs so they can hold a, you know, a career for more than two years that makes enough money so now they can own their own property and they can become, you know, take a step up in their socioeconomic class and actually be able to, to have more and, and empower them so that way they can, you know, take control of, of where their money is going. So I think that's kind of a two-part conversation of, of education, advocacy, getting those in the field of HVACR involved with, with, you know, how can we make this make sense on a mathematical term? Because some people don't speak creative. Some people don't speak environment. Some people speak, you know, logical money only. And so to, to open up the dialogue and to put it in more points of, of terminologies that really speaks to everyone, which is what you've done in terms of, of, of creating a micro niche with the Good Energy Project of, of, of talking to a specific group of people. We have to talk to people and not everyone speaks the same language. Not everyone has the same incentives, the same mindset, the same goals in mind, but good is a very simple concept and we can all agree that you know what, wouldn't it be great in 10 years if none of us had an electric bill? Wouldn't it be great in 10 years if we didn't have any, you know, problems with our well water being tainted from the coal ash, you know, especially up in Bartow County where you have a lot of cancer popping up because, you know, there, and I'm not going to say because of any one thing, but George Power, <laughs> but Plant Mowen's right there. And so there's a lot of conversations that we can, we can kind of point towards and say, hey, there's some science here. Hey, here's some math. Hey, here's some philosophy. Hey, here's here's some directional terms that really can talk to exactly each person and and really not speak past people because a lot of times that's what happens is we we're, we're passionate about something and we have our mind made up and we talk past someone. And 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 then we get ignored, you know. We 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 leave out the economic stimulus from it. And so now people are like, "Well, what about all these jobs?" Like, "No, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I didn't mention that. There's jobs to come with this. You know, HVACR is still going to be here. You know, electricians, welders, you know, installers, um, there's so many jobs that are going to come from this, uh, even on the industry level of developing these things, you know, the innovation that can come of making wind turbines more efficient, you know, bringing that into the entrepreneurial side of having people design new, new mechanisms, new installation methods. You know, there's a lot to empower the individuals to use all the frameworks to, to reach everyone. So, so Benny, do you got anything for us? Yeah, I just wanted to ask one question. We have, uh, quite a few, uh, seniors who are economically challenged, how do they uh, take a, a play a part in this? Uh, because we always ask our seniors to come out and vote and come to the meetings and, and come to this and come to that, but we don't really involve them in the process. So how can they play a part in, 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 in uh, uh, seeking this clean energy um, and in welcoming this clean energy into Atlanta. Yeah, starting the conversation. Seniors, especially senior black women, are the most dependable um, activists and partners that, that I have had, for sure. They are. They're going to come to the meetings. Um, they're going to bring somebody with them. And bringing that new information to them, and like we spoke about earlier, reminding them that these are things they are already doing and did for years, putting the towel at the bottom of the door so the air wasn't, you know, going out, um, making sure that, you know, I mean, the curtains were closed when the sun was coming in so it didn't get too hot in the house, reconnecting with them in this plain language, lived experience manner, which is why organizing uh, and you know people working on the ground talking to people I may not say hey I want to have a, come have a conversation with you about clean energy I'm gonna say hey can I come sit down and and meet you in your group for for lunch wherever y'all are having it and whatever we're gonna talk about is whatever we're gonna talk about and then they're gonna say well hey baby tell us a little bit about you you know and that 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 is the conversation starter you know we 
Um, even, you know, at, at Partnership for Southern Equity, one of our core things, you know, that, that I would stress to people is when we were partnering with rural, Fort Valley, Georgia, or Albany, Georgia, or, you know, you know, going, at, you know, outside of the metro or in, you know, NPUV, if in metro Atlanta, it wasn't, those first conversations necessarily weren't about energy specifically, right? This, we called them chat and choose, which we all do, which is exactly what it said. Sit down over some food, which is the ultimate uniter, and chat. And whatever came up is whatever came up, and as an organization, as coalition partners, just about whatever the issue was, there was gonna be someone that we could connect them with, there was gonna be um, an action, you know, that we could relate to them to take, and so that is the beginning of building relationships. We just want to reconnect with each other. We want to have good, strong, healthy relationships, which will ultimately move us toward having good, healthy energy, right? It was a really good question because I actually got an argument with someone on Nextdoor <laughs> about um, investing. It might have even been Facebook. I don't know. But social media site about an elderly person arguing um, about, you know, why would they invest in a solar energy? Because they, they're not looking 30 years out. But this is where, you know, social media conversations have their limitations because you can't talk to someone. You're talking through a medium that really, it breaks the conversation down where it's people talking at each other and they're not really listening. And so, you know, she has a valid point. But in regards of talking to them and, and actually engaging that dialogue, you know, what about their grandkids? You know, what about just trying to eat healthy, getting them outside because them getting their cardiovascular system out gardening because a lot of them love gardening. It's nostalgic. You know, it's going to get them that vitamin D. It's going to get them, you know, their fingernails in the, in the dirt, which is going to introduce my, you know, bacteria into their system in a healthy manner. That's going to increase their immune system. You know, it's going to get them breathing hard and preventing that pneumonia from setting. It's uh, it, it's a lot of things, but there, because what you're doing is multifaceted, you know, it's focused on just the good. There is a conversation to have with everyone that we can all agree on. And there's ways to engage that conversation. Like, look, invest into this house because this house is going to go to your grandkids. And, and if you can make this house sustainable for your grandkids, they're not going to be, you know, having to live under the demise of this centralized system that really doesn't care about them. And so, you know, when you when you open up the conversation to be on just the monetary conversation, which is you know how they're trying to think about it, how do I make this make sense for my money? Because they're going to come out of pocket twenty thousand. That's part of their retirement. And they don't want to. It's like no, no, no. This is for your kids. This is this is for the next generation, so they can they can live a better life than the hard life that you live because you don't want your kids to live what you live through, you know. And so you can engage everyone individually. And this is why it's important to, to have that, that wide spectrum of understanding of what good is, of what health is. Because the less asthma we have in our city, which you had mentioned about, you know, increased CO2, increased, um, you know, coal plants, increase, you know, have all these issues with, with not clean energy, you know, then, then you, you, having cleaner filters in the households, these little things, uh, they, they go so far. And, and really do touch everyone's heart and soul. It's just a matter of having someone like yourself that's, that's so charismatic and so knowledgeable that you can make the conversation reach every single person because you really do understand it. So understanding is, is really the, the after effect of advocacy. So, you know, advocating, inspiring, that's, that's the goal of, of, you know, what our podcast is about, because we want to inspire people to not be afraid of what a smart city is, because, you know, there is fear that comes with that. But what they're not looking at is the actual power you get whenever you break away from the system and you can become sustainable and you can spend more time with your kids. You know, I wish so bad that I had the time to homeschool my son and, and have a homeschooling community just in his own neighborhood of kids that, that could just not be dependent and, and still utilizing, you know, there's, there's value to that centralized system and not, not depleting it entirely, but working with it and balancing that ef effect where when we have a surplus of, of, of resources, it can go back into those that need it more. And so, you know, it, it really is a, a deeper conversation of understanding 
of inspiring, advocating, and you're doing all of that. And I just, I just want to thank you for your time, for your work, because I know at times when, when you're running on fumes, it feels like you ain't going nowhere, but, but I guarantee you what you're doing is a spark that will light across the whole world. And, and I want to encourage you to keep going and keep, keep that drive inside of you and keep that fire lit because the change is coming and, and, and you're on the front end of it. So thank you so it. much, Garrett. I appreciate that. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Benny. Thank you, Michael. Um, it's been great being in conversation with y'all and I look forward to staying engaged. You know, we've got a huge 2022 coming up in Georgia, plenty of, of races and also two public service commission races are going to be on the ballot. So, um, let's, Let's get to work. Let's engage some voters and um, let's make some connections, you know, have some chat and chews of our own um, to get out and keep getting the message out because uh, it's going to it's going to take all of us. It does. It does. And, you know, for the entrepreneurs out there, for the engineers, for the people that, you know, can help, you know, produce data, engage your politicians that are here now and enlighten them. Sometimes it's just ignorance and they just they, they don't know. And so, you know, beyond just your voting power, your education, your advocacy, the work that you do, it adds up. It's cumulative. This world is a cumulative thing. We are where we are because of our past, and it's only going to take us to a better place as long as we can bring that with us. So um, much love, guys. I appreciate y'all's time. I look forward to the next conversation. I love to talk, and I love conversation. So let's keep it going. Much love, guys.